The following commentary does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to Boston Neighborhood Network, 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Massachusetts, 02119. To arrange a time for your own commentary, you can call WBCA at 617-708-3241 or you can email radio at bnntv.org. Hello and welcome to Bostonian Rap. Now I know most of you are used to seeing me on the televised version of Bostonian Rap on Fridays, but we're mixing it up a little bit and we're going to be talking about uh, a very difficult subject tonight. We're going to be talking about Israel, uh, bigotry, in general, uh, and anti-Semitism. So it's going to be a discussion, as I said, difficult, but hopefully uh, informative and provocative as well. Provocative in the sense that it encourages uh, people to sit down and talk with one another, uh, even if those views might be, uh, of the people might be uh, different, even maybe completely antithetical. Because uh, certainly on this subject, uh, we're in dire need of balanced discussion, uh, moral clarity, and intellectual courage. So my name, of course, is Rachel Meiselman. I am very honored to have as a very special guest tonight, Dexter Van Zyl. He is the manager and uh, editor at Middle East Forum. He has done great work uh, for uh, a great many years. Uh, so I, I think that it's, it's very good to have him on the show because uh, he comes with facts. He comes with uh, substantial research and an eye that is, is very objective. He looks through a lens uh, that is one that is really um, pretty free of, of bias uh, in an effort to do his job as well as he does. Uh, I want to let people know that not only can you watch me right now, obviously here on Boston uh, Neighborhood Network Television, um, but you also, should you wish, have the option of listening to me at the same time as I'm <laughs> on um, BNN television. Uh, you can listen to me on WBCA uh, Radio 102.9 FM. I also, before we get started, I, I also want to really um, underline that the views that you are going to hear from me tonight uh, are mine and mine alone. They are not the views, uh, the opinions of uh, Boston Neighborhood Network Television. Uh, they are not the views of WBCA uh, Radio 102.9 FM. So uh, let's um, begin our talk, our discussion. And as I said, um, uh, the hope is that uh, in our own little way, we can add some balance to to uh, the, the debate around what is happening. Yeah. So when I talk about anti-Semitism, 
I always try to make the argument that it's something that is of concern for everybody because myself, before I'm a Jew, I'm a human being. What do you, what do you think, though, of how we broach the subject of, of hatred, how we broach the subject of bigotry? Well, one of the things I want to start off with is that we're obviously we're having this discussion as a result of the attack that took place in Israel on October 7th. October 7th, that is. And one of the things that I want to say is up front is, is that the, the stabbing murder of that six-year-old boy, Wadia Al-Fayoumi in Illinois, uh, this past Saturday was a, a whole... child. Yeah, he was a six-year-old child that got stabbed 26 times hey. by his, his mother's landlord. That was terrible. And I think one of the things that we have to be very careful about is to make sure that uh, we keep uh, the discussion about conflicts in the Middle East, you know, it, you know, keep the lid on them in such a way so that we don't incite hostility towards one another. And, uh, and, unfortunately, yeah, and then unfortunately enough, I think that what we've seen here in the United States since that conflict, uh, there's been an awful lot of, frankly, pro-Hamas protests uh, throughout the country uh, that have in, in incited hostility towards Jews in the United States, and also we see a, a significant problem in the West. But one of the things that I want to make clear is, is that those protesters do not represent every Muslim in the world. And I, not at know, all. And I, I went out of my way. I did an article about the, uh, uh, the United States Council of Muslim Organizations, UC, uh, USCMO, which basically kind of cheered on Hamas, and I was able to speak to a, a Muslim I know pretty well by the name of Umar Lee from St. Louis. And one of the things that he said, and I'm going to quote him directly, is, is that people are being very vague with these celebratory statements about the attack that took place against Israel. And one of the things he said is, that if you believe all those things are justified, the things that were done, I want you to go point by point and tell me, yes, I believe massacring kids at a party is acceptable. Yes, I believe rape is acceptable. Yes, I believe kidnapping is acceptable. Yes, I believe massacring families in their homes is acceptable. Yes, I be believe massacring old people is acceptable. And I want you to go point by point and uh, tell me that you support each of those actions. None of these actions in any way benefit the Palestinian people. And the reason why I want to recount that is because I want uh, non-Muslims to know that not every Muslim in the United States and not every Muslim in the West and not every Muslim in the Middle East or even in, in the rest of the world supports the terrible atrocities that are perpetrated by Hamas. Absolutely. And the problem is, is that one of the things that we see is, is that Islamist organizations in Europe and in North America, they have become the dominant voice for the Muslim community in the West. And the problem is, is that that incites fear on the part of non-Muslims because they think, look, this is the way that they all think. And another thing is, is that what it does is uh, it basically also takes uh, moderate Muslims who hate what Hamas did and puts them on their back feet and it, it keeps them marginalized. And unfortunately, elites in, throughout our country have essentially kind of nominated or designated uh, some of these Islamist organizations as the spokespeople. This, wasn't, it, this, was, this did not come from the Muslim community here in the United States. 
the, they were anointed by American leaders and European leaders to say these are the leaders of the community that we're going to deal with because they, they send funding to them and they essentially invite them in to uh, uh, important meetings and they say these are the leaders of the, the, the Muslim community in the United States despite the fact that they have affirmed a narrative that many Muslims in the U.S. don't like. And um, one of the things that Umar said to me in the course of writing the article about the U.S. CMO was is that what Hamas did is not sanctioned in Islam Islamically and we call upon all parties to behave within moral parameters. He said, look, you can support the Palestinian cause, but what Hamas did isn't going to help them. And in the course of writing about the U.S. CMO art, uh, uh, organization in its response to what Hamas did, I went out of my way to get as many Muslim voices to condemn the attack as I could. And I was able to speak to somebody at a, a mosque in Illinois called the Mosque Care, which was founded by Warth Dean Muhammad. Uh, and he promoted an integrationist approach to Islam here in the U.S. And he basically said that for me personally, the behavior of the, that Hamas did is just totally unacceptable regardless of who does it. And I think also, uh, and also I spoke to Zudi Jasser, who is a, a prominent Muslim, a Muslim reformer in Texas, who essentially wants to essentially, you know, he, he can't stand Hamas. And he's also very critical of Islamist organizations in the United States. And Which the, is a brave position right, to take. Right, because... Uh, it, that needs to be said. Right. And the thing, I think, but ultimately, and I think the thing that really bothers me about the discourse about Israel and what's going on right now is, is that essentially Israel is being denied uh, its right to essentially defeat uh, Hamas. And the problem is, is that until Hamas is defeated, we are going to continually have these uproars. Historically, what has happened is, is that uh, Hamas will launch rockets into Israel every couple of years, and uh, the Israelis will mow the grass, bomb them, uh, and essentially, at a certain point, they come to a ceasefire. But what happened on October 7th was something fundamentally different, and it changed it was, the narrative. It was very, very different. And, you know, I, I want people who are watching on BNN television and who are listening uh, on WBCA radio, 102.9 FM, I want one of the takeaways to be that this is really the attack that was that was launched on October seventh. Fundamentally different. That's that's the perfect adverb, and, and it's it, it really triggered a seismic shift. And so, you know, to the people at home watching or to, uh, listening in, it, I sat there and thought, and then I you know just heard from different people listening to different voices and people who ordinarily were on the political left um, and who were more, not conciliatory towards Hamas, of course not, but it was more, well, we need to find a solution. We need to work together. We need to sit around a table. And again, it's not that there wasn't any kind of acknowledgement that Hamas is a terrorist movement. Of course there was. But it was just kind of like this overarching idea and belief, mindset, philosophy that somehow, some way, something could be worked out. Yeah. Now, people are saying, no. Right. 
I think that is really what has happened. Hamas must be defeated. And let me say to the people watching uh, and listening to tonight's show, this, and this is going to sound like a, a bizarre thing to say, a wild thing to say, this has nothing to do with the Palestinians. This is between Israel and Hamas. I, I, you know, I might have to give you some pushback on that. Okay. Because one of the reasons, and I don't mean to say, well, Hamas, you know, the Palestinians voted for Hamas in 2007. Okay, that, that election took place a long time ago. And an awful lot of the people who essentially voted for Hamas are no longer around. And most of the people who live in the Gaza Strip didn't vote in that election. But the important thing to recognize is that there is polling data that indicates that essentially there's an awful lot of Palestinians or a majority that still support an armed struggle against Israel. And what that means is that if, if Hamas is defeated, essentially uh, whoever replaces Hamas in the Gaza Strip, they're not going to like Israel. And we, we can't expect them to like Israel, but we are going to have to basically draw a red line and say, that what happened on October 7th is never going to happen again. And the only never way Never again is yeah, now. Right. And the problem is, is that the only way that that can happen is if Hamas is essentially defeated and the people who are, who are responsible for what happened are prosecuted, uh, imprisoned, uh, or essentially, you know, sadly enough, killed in battle. There's really no way around it. And, and I think that's a very, very difficult thing for an awful lot of people to have to accept. But the question is, and this is one of the questions that I'm going to ask, you know, people who know me in the city, if Hamas is not defeated and is not essentially like kind of frankly destroyed. They have to be completely yeah, dismantled. Yeah. Then, then, they have to be know, Hamas. What, ha what happens if that sure. doesn't happen? What happens next? And that's really there the There can't point. be any next. Right. And so, yeah, so I'm, I'm glad that you did you know, give me pushback. And it's one of the reasons why I love having you on the show and why I love just talking with you in general. Um, proud to call you a friend. Um, because, you know, it makes me be even more precise with my words. So when I say that this has absolutely nothing to do with the Palestinians, and this is about Israel and Hamas, Yes, unfortunately, they have fomented hatred um, in the Gaza Strip and, through, and you know, throughout right. the Palestinian territories, um, throughout the region and throughout the world. Right. Um, but I say that it has absolutely nothing to do with the Palestinians because it's Hamas that is fighting Israel. Well, and it, well it, it extends beyond the Palestinians, because in many respects, first of all, this conflict has been fueled by Iran, and Iran has essentially used Hezbollah as a, uh, as a tool to essentially uh, attack Israel. One of its proxies. Yeah, and the thing is, is, and it's also done the same thing with Hamas. And the thing is, is that Iran is... Uh, the regime in Iran is in a very tough shape because it's been challenged by protesters who are essentially the, the, the woman life freedom movement in Iran has essentially taken it to the mullahs and said, look, you can no longer oppress us the way that you have since the Iranian revolution in 79. 
And what I think Iran is hoping to do is, and also another thing that Iran wants to do is, is that it wants to interrupt the peacemaking process between Israel and, and, and the Saudis. And, and that's, you know, I'm so glad that you talked about Iran because we don't have people talking about that. And the average person on the street is Israel and the Palestinians. And I'm like, but Israel's fighting Hamas. Right, and it's also basically fighting proxies that are supported by right. Iran. And, and Israel, in a sense, is fighting Iran because Iran is boosting Hamas up and has been. And, you know, I've been reading different reports, credible reports, you know, because there's such an avalanche of, of information. You really have to be careful about the sources uh, that you go to, uh, even if it's if it's a source, even if it's a source that supports what you think, you still have to like say if it's a photo, you still have to make sure that it's been verified. If someone makes a statement, uh, puts out a set of facts, you, you still want to cross check because there is such a uh, an avalanche of information. I would say that Hamas, Iran, uh, what what they've been very successful at doing is is promoting prop, propaganda as facts. And they've been very ready to just pump out all this information. Um, I do see that Israel has, I think, gotten better. Um, I don't think it was ever bad, but I think it's become very adept. Maybe that's a better way well, of saying I, I, it, to, to, to counter. I, well, I think, first of all, the narrative that has been boosted by essentially uh, Israel's adversaries in the Western environment is twofold. And first of all, one, of it is, is, one aspect of it is, is that essentially uh, the hostility and violence against Israel and, and Jews uh, is basically downplayed or ignored, and every method or uh, aspect of Israeli self-defense is problematized. And the thing, and it's I. It's a good verb. Yeah. Problematize. Well, it's very postmodern, too, okay? <laughs> I want to problematize this. And I, frankly, that's a process that I do want to problematize. And the thing is, is that one of the difficulties that we're going to contend with in the, the days and weeks ahead is, is that the pal Palestinians are going to be killed as a result of Isra Israel's effort to defeat Hamas. And innocent children are going to be killed. And, it, and, it, and it's going to be painful to watch. And the, the problem is, is that if Hamas isn't defeated, it's going to happen again. And it's going to be worse. Yeah, and, and, and that, I think, is really the thing that we really need to contend with. And this is not, you know, this is not a utopian world that we live in. Uh, and I have basically, as I've gotten older, I have basically embraced a tragic view of history and the tragic view of the human condition. And one of the elements of that human condition is war. And I don't like it, and I wish that it didn't happen. And I wish it didn't take place. But the problem is, is that if you think that you can avoid war, you're going to end up making, it, making the final conflict much worse, and you may end up losing. And I think one of the things that bothers me the most is the same narrative that has been used to delegitimize the, uh, Israel uh, as being some sort of original sin is now being deployed against the United States and Western democracies as well. And essentially, 
we, we, you know, the United States has been portrayed as essentially a uniquely evil nation. And, uh, and what happens is, is that that basically encourages leaders to abandon the, the monopoly on force that we need in order to basically maintain order and peace and tranquility in our cities. And this is the thing that really bothers me the most, is, is that this whole, uh, you know, this delegitimization of the West uh, the, and the delegitimization of the United States is playing itself out in, in uh, cities throughout the country. And it's a very, and, and, and the, the same people That's who, alarming. yeah, the same people who delegitimize Israel are now telling us that essentially they are the same people who engage in, uh, you know, this land acknowledgement, which ultimately legitimizes attacks on the U.S. Republic and legitimizes in this whole decolonization pro, uh, agenda. That basically is very, very dangerous because it encourages people to think that somehow they can remove the people who currently live here in the United States, and they can't. And, 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 that, is, and that is something very real. And I, you know, I was talking to family, because I have family in Israel, and I was, I was fortunate enough, mercifully, uh, I was able to talk to um, my cousin, and you know, he said something that struck me as particularly profound. Uh, he said, in a way, you know, I'm paraphrasing, in a way, in a number of respects, we are the first line of defense. Um, you know, talking about Israel, you know, he said to me, do you think they're going to stop at the Jews? Yeah. Um, and so I, I think that another takeaway from this should be that not to boil, and it's not a conflict, it's a war, not, not to, you know, uh, boil it down so much so that it's bite-sized, uh, but it really is a fight between good and evil, and I think ultimately it's not a war that Hamas, that Hezbollah, and the other Iranian proxies and Iran itself want to just stay in the Middle East. Um, like right, you said, yeah, right. the, these, these maniacal, homicidal... Okay. Um, and I, I want to address the, the notion uh, of evil because... They're being again, ex it's being right. exported. The, the definition of evil, as I understand it, and I've seen other people who are smarter than me but deploy this definition, is, is that evil is anything that essentially interrupts the ability of humans to survive and flourish. Um, and I think that ultimately when we look at the agenda of the people who've been attacking Israel for the past several decades, um, th that's ultimately what's going on. Uh, they have been unable to govern the countries that they, 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 they want to lead in the Middle East, uh, and they've had essentially an atrocious impact on uh, the status of women and the status of non-Muslims and uh, in the countries that they govern or seek to govern. And isn't it amazing how all these critics, detractors of Israel never have an issue with how people are being treated in Iran, right? in Syria, in these different Middle Eastern countries right. where people, it's not a question of people just can't say anything they want. No, we're talking about People are living in fear, and you know, you you, you look at a country like Iran, uh, a brutal theocracy. 
you know, it's so funny because it's funny. We have uh, debates about riding bicycles in Boston. Well, the city's not made for it. And, you know, and then you have other people who say that, well, oh, it's great. It's wonderful. It's a wonderful form, a different modal of transport. We need that, you know, and that's our discussion around bicycles. I ran the idea of a woman riding a bicycle as an act <laughs> of courage that could get her thrown in jail or, or possibly killed. Or possibly killed. And I think this the, is. They don't talk about that. Well, you see, there's a number of reasons. And there's a book out there called Stealth Conflicts by Virgil Hawkins, and, uh, if, it, which talks about this. One of the things that I have, have always been astonished by is, is that the, the Arab-Israeli conflict, and my numbers are not going to be exact, but if you go onto the Middle East forum and, and Google the word, the number 49, okay, that, and there was an article by Daniel Pipes, and it might be on his website, danielpipes.org, which talks about the number of deaths attributed to all of these various conflicts. And my numbers are going to be off, but essentially we're talking less than 100,000 as a result of the Arab-Israeli conflict since the end of World War II. The number of people who have died as a result of other conflicts in the region is well, it's over 12 million by now. It's, it's a significant number. So, and the, the Arab-Israeli conflict ranks about 49th out of all of the world conflicts. In the Congo, millions and millions of people have died as a result of that country's civil war, and it doesn't get covered. And one of the reasons why is because the, it's in, the hotels are good in Israel, it's easy to fly to, and it's a relative, relatively self, safe place to go. That's one of the things. If you want to cover the war, say, in Syria, you, you know, journalists have been, you know, you have to sneak in there to, to do it. And that isn't to say that covering the conflict in Gaza is, is uh, entirely safe. But the thing is, is that if you report things that Hamas does not want you to report, you will get in a lot of trouble, okay? And they, they issue lists, they, they, they have rules that, uh, that journalists must follow uh, when they cover it. And, and, and this is a very troubling thing. And so what we have is we have an imperfect democracy defending itself against a, a perfectly totalitarian movement. And I think that this is really, the, the difficulty is, is that when, you know, when dealing with Hamas, we have to basically understand that it needs to be defeated and it needs to be starved of the resources that it needs. Absolutely. And I want to pick up on something you said. So that's why I opened the show with a question that is both rhetorical, but at the same time, I think it does, particularly now in light of the war, demand a question, you know, bigotry. And I think that in the West in general, but particularly in the United States, we, you know, what is bigotry? What is hatred? What do we think about that? What do we think about who is hated? Who is tar the target of bigotry? You know, speaking broadly. And we have it in, in our heads. And when I say we, I mean, just speaking generally that it's black and brown folks. And we just, we attach all these attributes to who can be the victim of bigotry. Right. And, and when you move from, you know, group to group, when you get to the Jews, it's the idea, well, they're all doctors and lawyers. Well, we're not all doctors and lawyers. Do we have 
a large number of Jews who happen to be doctors and lawyers. I do think that there is a good percentage, but we're also, I think, well represented in many other areas. Um, but I think it's because you know we have a strong emphasis on education, and we have known success in different countries uh, in professions that people associate with success. Right. Um, people think that all Jews are white. Of course, that's not true. <laughs> um, but I think it's because of all these ideas that people have that the idea that there can be bigotry against Jews, that anti-Semitism is a real thing, that it's a critical thing, that it's a serious thing, I don't think it registers with a lot of people. And that's very, very, very problematic. Once when I was a, a young boy growing up in the mean streets of Westwood, okay? In the mean streets. <laughs> All right. I banged my thumb in the basement while I was shutting a drawer. And when I banged my thumb, I uttered a terrible oath about my mother, who wasn't even in the house. And I was like maybe 11 or 12 years old, and I said, it's not my mother's fault that I banged my thumb. And it was the first time that I realized that, it, that human impulse to basically blame somebody else for suffering that somehow I was responsible for. And I think that this is a very powerful tendency on the part of the, the, you know, humanity, is, is that when we find ourselves in positions of difficulty, what we're looking to do is we try to find somebody else outside of ourselves and our community and, and, and uh, to essentially project our, our anger and hostility onto. And I think that historically the Jewish people have been that community. They, uh, and they've been that community uh, in Western civilization, uh, largely as a consequence of uh, Christian doctrine regarding the Jewish people, which was changed largely uh, after the Holocaust, hopefully, but sometimes it didn't stick. And also I think that it's rooted in uh, Islamic doctrine about the Jewish people as and we well. we need to talk about that. Right. You know, this isn't to say that uh, I don't have a problem with like Islam per se. Of course I don't. Um, I have had in my lifetime. I have been fortunate to know a number, a, a number of good, uh, you know, a number of not so great people. But I've also been fortunate, mercifully, to know a number of very good, decent right. people. And of course, some of them have been Muslim. Um, but I think that, you know, there have been figures in the Muslim community who've not represented Islam well, then there have been people who have perverted it completely and totally, and those people I would call Islamists. Right, that's essentially that. Uh, at the Middle East Forum, we regard Islamism as a political agenda that's been around for about 100 years. It's a utopian political agenda that essentially wants to restore the Muslim world to its previous status as a dominant force in world history. And essentially, and the answer to why the Muslim world failed was in the 1920s was is that Islam is a solution. We are not practicing the proper state, of, a proper form of Islam. And, and, and one of the elements of that movement was enormous hostility towards the Jews. And it was written in those, and they, they drew to a certain extent on traditional sources with Islam. But then uh, 
it also got combined with Western anti-Semitism to a certain extent. And, and Jeffrey Hurth wrote about this. So the yeah. problem that we, we are dealing with at this point is, is that Hamas embodies the physical activization of that ideology. That's right. And, and every country, you know, Qatar supports Hamas. It protects it, 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 uh, it has its leadership, uh, it provides uh, protection for its leadership, it provides coverage for it. Uh, and the thing is, is that there's an awful lot of people here in the West that do business with Qatar that really do need to be confronted because of that. Right, I, I just, it, there's just so many dimensions. Uh, um, and I use the word debate, but I don't mean debate as in, well, you know, what do you think about Israel? What do you, what do you think about Hamas? What do you, because I, I, will be, I will be clear, very clear. Hamas needs to be eliminated. It, they must be completely defeated. Um, Israel absolutely has the right to defend itself. And a lot of the people who insist on painting this as, um, you know, a war between Israel and the Palestinians, it's because, quite frankly, they're anti-Semitic. There's just no other way to, to describe what they are. They are anti-Semitic. There are some things that are not up for debate. The oh, brutalization yeah. of people, the, the slaughter of innocents, the raping, uh, the parading of bodies, they're engaging an ISIS-like uh, tactics. So I just want people who who are watching um, tonight, um, you know, being on television, who are listening in on WBCA 102.9 FM, that my stance is very clear. All I'm trying to say, though, is that there are a lot of other things that need to be taken into consideration that aren't in this discussion. And people aren't talking about Iran enough. People are not talking about Qatar. People are not talking about um, Islamism outside of this conflict and the goals, the agenda of Islamists. Right. And that's... Right. And I think this is one of the interesting things. Is, is that ultimately every nation has what you can call a transcendent purpose, okay? And sometimes they do a very bad job of pursuing those purposes and sometimes they don't. Uh, historically, the United States, our transcendent purpose is essentially to kind of promote, uh, you know, the notion that all men are created equal and that we basically try to allow people to pursue uh, freedom uh, according to their own lights. And my rights end where they interfere with your rights, okay? And there are times when we have failed to live up to those transcendent purposes. The problem is, is that in the Israelis or, you know, the Jewish people, they have essentially, and not everyone buys into this transcendent purpose, but essentially they work very hard to promote a notion of being an ethical community uh, and to provide, uh, you know, essentially, and to be a, a, an embodiment of, you know, what God wants for humanity. And people may argue with me and say that's not the case, but... The thing is, is that the Palestinian people, and, and, and what happened was, is that it became perfectly evident in the light of history that the Jewish people simply could not live in safety as minorities in, in any, very few countries. 
Interestingly enough, one of the few countries in the world where that has been the case, where Jews can live in safety, has been the United States, largely as a consequence of our transcendent purpose. And, and our, you know, sometimes we don't always get there. The Palestinian leadership, though, over the long haul, uh, has essentially embraced this narrative that we need to deny the Jewish people a sovereign state. And the thing is, is that there are countries in the region that have decided that they did not want to pursue that transcendent purpose. They did not want to embrace the purpose of denying the Jewish people their sovereign state. The UAE came along and said, we're going to sign the, uh, the Abraham Accords. It looked like the, uh, Saudi Arabia was going to do the, th the same thing. And Iran, at that point, became very in, uh, worried and intimidated. And that was one of the reasons because why. Because Saudi Arabia and Iran have, have uh, right. there's a lot of tension right. between those right. two nations. And, and the thing is, is that at this point, uh, there, I think they're over the long haul, and I don't want to sound Pollyanna-ish, but I think that uh, if Hamas is defeated and that the Palestinians are no longer able to essentially exercise a veto on the development of the rest of the Middle East, every time they attack Israel, they basically capture the attention of uh, extremists throughout the world and they disrupt the, the, the lives, the political life of every other country. And, and that's what I also, I, I also want this to be another takeaway uh, to people watching or listening in, um, that yes, Hamas wants to, you know, Hamas is on a genocidal mission. They want to eradicate Israel, let's be clear. And, and, they want to, and they want to eliminate Jews elsewhere in the world, too. It's not just Israel. Um, people need to understand that as well. But I think that um, another part of this puzzle, uh, this talk, discussion that people are missing out on, is that these horrible horrible, horrible, evil actors wanted to disrupt peace. Right, that's exactly, yeah. And so when you have people who are talking about calling for peace, I say to myself, well, then why do you make excuses right. for Hamas? Right. Because the Abraham Accords, that, that, was, that was no small thing. People don't need to understand how significant right. that was and, and, and the potential that it has to really reshape that region in a way that people everywhere, regardless yeah. of faith, regardless of nationality, yeah, yeah. can live together and thrive. Yeah, the, the Abraham Accords were essentially an attempt to basically promote human survival and human flourishing. That was really what that was about. Let's stop at, uh, the, this ongoing conflict. Let's figure out a way to make peace with Israel. And the thing is, is that once that started to happen, the Palestinians themselves probably would have been the greatest beneficiaries of that. They would have been given billions of dollars. They would have been able to uh, essentially develop the Gaza Strip and turn it into uh, essentially a, a destination point for traveling. Uh, and, the thing, and in the West Bank, you would be able to have, you know, the, the ongoing tourism to go into the city of Bethlehem so that people could visit the town of Christ's birth. It would have been essentially an engine for economic growth. Peace would have actually improved the quality of people's lives. But the problem is, is that the Palestinian elites, particularly those in Hamas, have decided 
that no, we, w we want war. They've become wealthy men. Right. Why, but, well, and the thing that, but the problem <laughs> is, is that every time this conflict erupts, uh, the Islamist movement in the West becomes energized and it starts to disrupt the political life of the, the, uh, of the Western democracies in which we live. Mm -hmm. And I think, and that is a profoundly disturbing thing. And so not only do we need to defeat Hamas, but we need to work very assiduously to essentially marginalize the Islamist organizations in the United States and in the West. And one of the things that we can start to do is to pay attention to the funds that we're giving them. Because all of the organizations that I'm talking about, uh, you know, Council on American-Islamic Relations, Nihad Awad basically just promoted on, he's the executive director. He just retweeted a bunch of uh, posts on Twitter uh, that per said that Israel was responsible for the attack on the hospital that took, uh, and it was, it was a, a Palestinian-Islamic jihad, jihad attack right. that, uh, that fell short. And essentially, but that narrative, okay, basically portrays Israel as responsible for huge numbers of deaths. And the thing is, is that even the numbers of deaths may very well have been exaggerated. But we have a number of organizations like that. Local chapters of care get money from uh, state and local governments. And the thing is, is that I personally think that uh, governing officials should basically call these people before their local legislatures and say, Nihad Awad, the national director or the executive director on the Council on American-Islamic Relations, has affirmed and, and praised Yusef al-Qaradawi, who was one of the worst anti-Semites. He was the leader of the Muslim Brotherhood. And the Muslim Brotherhood was an organization that set people at each other's throats in Europe. It divides people, and the first group it divides everyone against is Jews. Are you okay with that? You, the local ch chapter of Council on American Islamic Relations, do you think this is okay? that the national director of your organization is, is fomenting hostility towards Israel right. like that. And, and, and so earlier in the show, I talked about a seismic shift in terms of people, more people now uh, coalescing around the idea Hamas has to be defeated. But I think that there's also been a shift in that people, Jews in particular, were fighting back in other ways. You know, these narratives were pushing back, and I think that for far too long. So yes, accountability of these different right. organizations, but also these college campuses. Right. Uh, my alma mater, Harvard, I am very upset about what I am hearing coming out of there. Um, you know, the protests, the words of President Gay, uh, you know, I went to her inauguration and I just, I walked away feeling void. You know, I, she, she spoke very eloquently and, you know, and I'm thinking high hopes. And then very shortly thereafter, her words saying that, you know, essentially we don't police speech, you know, we don't police speech and, you know, talking about freedom of speech. And we have to understand that when we're talking about language that foments, that, that encourages a hatred that's already there, that's already very much problematic, that has already 
yielded acts that have hurt people, not just have, have assaulted people's sense of self-worth, but also assaulted them physically, that suddenly, you know, we have to step away from the argument or, or, or the mention of free, freedom of speech because you know, we're now talking about hatred. We're talking about hate speech. Well, and, yeah. and, and we have a wide berth with I, the freedom I, 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 of speech, but we can't just say anything. I think the big problem on college campuses is the ideological and intellectual monoculture that's taken place. And essentially, that's really the problem. But people are pushing back on that now. But, but the, yeah, but the, and it may, and there, there has, and it may take, it's going to take a generation or at least a decade because ultimately, and I, I actually had to send a letter to the, my alma mater, the University of Puget Sound. I saw that. And I said, I'm not giving any money to you until I'm confident that there's some sort of, uh, you know, you know, they, they promoted the notion of Black Lives Matter without any sort of scrutiny. And they said, we're going to amplify the Black Lives Matter mo movement. And I, and I know that the, 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 the BLM movement has promoted hostility towards Jews. Uh, but they stand with Hamas. They right. made it very clear. And so, and given, you know, I had been mobbed in downtown Boston by a bunch of activists from SJP, the UMass Boston, I was like, I'm not supporting this. And the thing is, is that what we need, though, is, is that ultimately one of the concerns or the difficulties is we shouldn't expect our universities or even our municipalities to be able to, to have to enunciate responses to every conflict uh, and, to say, and to take a side. What they should do is essentially just let the people argue it out. But the thing is, is that what we have, and this is, but I have some concerns because what we have seen on college campuses is the equivalent of what I call ghetto benches, which, are, which is a historical term used to describe what happened to Jews uh, on, in colleges and universities in Poland prior to World War II. Essentially what happened was is that in the classroom, essentially the Jews were forced to sit on one side of the classroom and they were they basically required to stand apart from the rest of the, the students at the university. So then they were set apart. If you look at what has happened, in some instances that did take place at one college where essentially a professor told the Israelis that you're going to have to stand in a corner. And the thing is, is that what we see... Wasn't there a professor, yeah. what's his name, Professor Rickford? Uh, yeah. uh, Russell Rickford at Cornell University who said that he found the Hamas attack exhilarating. Right, yeah. And the thing is, is that on one hand, you know, he may, you know that might in fact be protected speech, okay? But at the same time, the problem is, is that there, if anyone were to speak out against it, there's a very good chance that, uh, that other people at the university would shout them down or, or, or threaten or intimidate them. And, the, and, and that's, that's the problem. And that's, and that's a huge problem. And I do want to say that um, some of what is, is, is broadly being called free, um, you know, this, this hatefulness, that has um, taken front and center, particularly since October 7th. Um, protected speech, I'm not so sure. And if you look at what's going on in different parts of the world, this, this, this particular speech coming up, you have different people taking different positions. Um, I believe in Austria, they have banned, for instance, the pro-Palestinian pro chant from river to the sea, Palestine will be free. 
and of course talking about the Jordan River and the Mediterranean Sea. Well, that's a genocidal chant. You're, right. you're, you're, you're yeah. calling for genocide. Um, you know, elsewhere, it's, it's, you know, in other countries I saw a case um, and it was, it was considered uh, protected speech. But I think that just the fact that there's pushback now, I think you're right. I mean, I'm not pretending that any kind of pushback at what's going on in college campuses and, quite frankly, in other um, places as well, uh, you know, this pushback is going to, you know, completely change uh, the terrain. Of course not. It's not going to happen overnight because we didn't get to this place overnight. Um, but the fact that people are standing up and pushing back, uh, there was a, a protest against the BBC. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's, it, it, this is a war on a number of different fronts, right. I feel. I think one of the things that I have been guilty of is, is that I spent too much time thinking, and this is going to sound crazy in a discussion about anti-Semitism, mm -hmm. is that I spent too much time thinking about G the Jews, okay? And I think that really one of the big concerns that we really have to consider is what happens if Hamas is not defeated? What happens if Hamas gets away with this, uh, 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 the, the, this terrible attack on Israeli civilians the, and the raping and the killing? And they're is, is still allowed to maintain essentially effective control over the Gaza Strip and be the sovereign force. What happens next? And not just what happens to Jews. But what happens to the international system and the, the countries that we live in? And one of the things that I have started to really hammer away on with my friends, and, uh, you, know, uh, and I, you know, I have a lot of friends that, frankly, do not like Jews all that much. I, I, you, know, and I, I, you know, and I chide them on it and I try to remonstrate with them. But the thing is, is that they saw the attack uh, from Gaza on October 7th, and they understood on a visceral level, they were like, well, wait a minute, you know, th this is something different. And I think that that has really been a clarifying moment. And hopefully what we can do is to capitalize on that so that Israel is given a chance to defeat Hamas. Because until Hamas is defeated physically, okay, at the, there, there's always going to be these attacks and there's going to be people who in the West who are going to want to come out and defend them. If the attacks on Israel stop, Hopefully what we will see is, is that essentially the people will not have to come out into the streets and chant from the river to the sea. And I think that if, if you're concerned about, and, and, and this is one of the things that I've decided, is, is that if people are interested in the safety of Jews throughout the world, they have to basically defeat Israel's enemies because every time Israel's enemies come forward to uh, uh, launch another set of attacks, it basically incites, frankly, anti-Semites and, and, and other people in the West to come oh, out. It gives, them something, it gives them something to, to talk about. See, see, see what I said? Right. And, and you know, it's, it's kind of, um, I don't want to use the word joke, but what I've said is, my goodness, I can't wait for the day that there's peace. And I, and I do want peace. I do want a two-party solution. Uh, a two-state a two solution. I always have, mm -hmm. and I always will. Um, but, you know, one of the things I kind of say sometimes a bit rarely is that I want this peace because 
well then that'll be one less thing for the anti-Semites right. to have. Uh, what will they say then? Um, you know, unfortunately there'll always be hatred of all kinds and that includes anti-Semitism. Um, but I find that the hatred of Israel hiding behind, well, we're not anti-Semites, we're just anti-Zionists. I find that particularly disgusting. When you look at, again, how the Palestinians live, a lot of them, and how, as I said earlier in the show, how so many people live in the different countries uh, around the Middle East. Right. So it's... What, what Hamas has done, and the thing is, is that... Or in other parts of the world, right, not just the right. Middle East. But this look at is Venezuela. The, right. But the interesting thing is, is that Hamas has basically used the suffering of its people as a... a that it a, caused. That it caused as an asset. As an asset and as a tool of, its, of war against the Jewish state. And it's, it's a shocking thing to see. And the problem is, is that all too many of our leaders here in the West, you know, the, the, the mainline churches that I came from, they assisted in this campaign. Uh, you know, higher education assists in this campaign. And th this is a very difficult problem that we're contending with is, is that essentially um, it's not just that we have Islamists and jihadists that want to kill Jews, but that we have essentially Westerners who are frankly, if you pardon the expression, so stupid. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that, that maybe in some points uh, stupidity is actually a bigger problem than evil. And I think that that may, in fact, be the problem that we're contending with right now, is, is that Hamas would be very easily defeated quite quickly if it weren't for the fact that the entire world has spent you know, two decades doing everything it can to hinder Israel's ability to defeat its enemies. Israel is denied the ability to win its wars uh, by so-called... The call for ceasefire from represent, right. uh, for Representative right. Presley, now McGovern, although... Right. Mcmcgovern is a little bit more even killed, but it's just right the the second you call for a, a ceasefire, what you were doing is essentially saying that you want Hamas to stay in power in the Gaza strip that's right and and, and that and there will be an and there would be a next time and there'll be another time and there'll be more death all right, so unfortunately, we have to end it there um but Dexter, thank you so much for an honest uh informative conversation. Um, for the people who've been watching and listening at home, thank you so much. I'll be talking about this issue more, um, but I hope that uh, you were able to get uh, several key takeaways, including that I very much want peace, um, but I don't think it can happen with Hamas. And at no point will you ever hear me express hatred toward any group except for Hamas. Thank you so much for tuning in. Bye-bye for now. The preceding commentary does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or the Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to the Boston Neighborhood Network at 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Mass., 02119. Attention WBCA LP 102.9 FM. If you would like to arrange a time for your own commentary, you can call WBCA at 617-708-3241 or email us at radio at bnntv.org.